I'm Helen Cross and this is the weekly podcast Grow, Cook, Inspire with gardening at its core. We talk about the news, views and trends worth talking about alongside some special guests from the world of gardening and also food. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Grow, Cook, Inspire. As always, it's lovely to have you and it is the last day of January. Hurrah! On today's show, I am joined by the award-winning writer and gardener Kim Stoddart to talk about her new book, The Climate Change Garden, which she has co-written alongside Sally Morgan. Now, as well as the fact that we are still very much in planning mode in our gardens, I thought that given who our guest is today, we would focus on planet-friendly gardening in this week's Garden Edit to make sure we all start 2023 as we mean to go on. And that's gardening with Mother Nature rather than against it. Are a rule breaker, you are going to love climate change gardening. I grew up at a time when pristine lawns and immaculate rose gardens were very much the order of the day. No one questioned the use of pesticides, weed killers, or whether or not you used your hosepipe during the hot summer. Not anymore, however. It's time to embrace our wilder sides. Gardening is much more than a hobby. In fact, how we garden can have a huge impact on climate change. And what's more, the practices used to garden with our planet in mind are also a great way to inspire and engage children in gardening and growing their own. Plus, if we teach them these ways, it will be second nature to them in the long run. So here are my planet friendly tips in this week's garden edit for you to have a think about as you plan for your garden in 2023. First of all, if you are making a new bed or border this year, put down the shovel and embrace the no-dig method of gardening. Much better for the soil and for your back. Reduce the number of annual bedding plants in your garden. Choose more perennial plants, which will attract pollinators. Diversity is key here. Provide homes for insects and increase biodiversity, creating bug hotels, stacks of stones, sticks and bricks to provide shelter and every garden needs a water butt to help save rainwater and reduce the need to use the hosepipe in the hot summer months. And finally, avoid peat compost and if space allows, why not compost your own garden and kitchen waste and create your own black gold. Next on the Garden Edit this week is news of another new book. And if you're looking for further information and ideas to future-proof your garden, ensuring that it's sustainable, climate resistant, as well as being beautiful, then why not check out a new book coming out on the 6th of April from the award-winning garden designer Tom Massey called The Resilient Gardener. And 
with peak sewing seed time just around the corner. This is your reminder to start collecting yogurt tubs, cans, egg cartons and toilet roll tubes, all of which make for great seed pots and are a great way to recycle, reuse and of course grow your own. And if, like me, you may have caught the houseplant bug at the start of the year following National Houseplant Week, then check out Harriet's plants on Instagram. Now, she is a huge advocate and producer of peat-free indoor plants and is really on a mission in 2023 to educate us more about why we should be using peat-free houseplants. So give that a check out and I'll put all the details in today's show notes. Now, today's guest is no stranger to gardening with the climate in mind. In fact, she's known as the climate change savvy grower. Kim Stoddart is a gardener, author and award-winning journalist who lives and gardens in Wales and also runs online and in-person gardening courses. In 2013, she gardened for free for The Guardian to see how low-cost growing could actually be done in reality. So with over 35 years of experience, she has now co-authored the book, The Climate Change Garden, which has very recently been republished as an updated edition by Quarto. And that is what we are going to be talking about today with Kim. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me onto your fantastic podcast. Not at all. Thank you for coming. So exciting times ahead. You have the publication of your book, The Climate Change Garden, which you first published in 2019, and it's coming out now to a a more global audience. But before we go and talk about that, because obviously climate change more now than ever is at the front of everybody's mind. Let's just go back a few steps and tell me how you came to become known as the the climate change savvy gardener. Thank you. Well, I've been writing about this topic for publications like The Guardian since about 2013. And I have some climate change training gardens in West Wales. And it's really, it's a topic that is really close to my own heart and I've been experimenting and looking into different techniques and ways of shoring up the defences since about 2013-14 and teaching about this and I met up with Sally Morgan who edits the Soil Association magazine and we just got chatting about the topic back in 2018 and felt very passionately that there was a need for a guide for gardeners to help them prepare with the changes that are coming and so the first version of the book we self-published it um, through Green Rocket Books with support from organisations like Delphit, Garden Organic and also First Tunnels and the new version is updated because a lot has happened since 2019 mm. from a climate change perspective and so it's updated and we've got new chapters and we've also written the book to take it to a much bigger wider audience with a global approach in mind as well to help people to prepare. And you say that a lot of this has been written from your own experience. What actually has happened to your garden in Wales over over the last few years? Oh goodness, I think it's almost a case of what hasn't happened really. <laughs> so I live, um, to, to explain the, the location as well, I live 750 odd foot above sea level 
in the, the west of Wales, in Ceredigion, in an area that's very exposed to the elements. And during the time I've been here, which is coming up for 12 years now, I've experienced flooding. So the gardens completely flooded back in, it's about 2014, I think it was now. Mm. And so that took me on a journey to, to really look again into different ways of shoring up defences from a flooding perspective and looking to see what different cultures around the world have done in instances of flooding and just really opening up the, I suppose, the, the, the key foundation of, of how to build resilience, you know, but looking at soil health, no dig, and also looking at ways of working more closely with the natural world. And that then led on to I drought, extreme drought. We've all mm. experienced that in the last couple of years. Last year, we had the hosepipe ban in a lot of areas of the UK. But where I am, I have a private water supply, which since 2018 has been year on year running little by little, drier by drier. So actually this year, or rather last year, um, this, the actual private water supply almost ran completely dry. So I didn't have enough water for the house, let of alone course. for the garden. And, uh, you know, again, very exposed spots, very high up, so extreme winds, extremes of weather. So what I've really learned to do is, well, what I've been doing with the techniques in the book is testing them to the limit as well and just really very, very hands-on capacity. So it's it's an experience that I can pass on through the book and through the work that I do on this topic. So the bottom line is, as as many gardeners will know, um, that and it's it's beautifully said in one line by Nikki Jarber, who's written a quote for you about the book. It's it's no longer gardening as usual. That this is no longer the case. We're going to have to Absolutely. change how we garden. I think I certainly grew up at a time when my parents and grandparents were those who enjoyed pristine lawns, nice yes. rose beds, <laughs> everything was pristine and perfect. Uh, but I often say to people, it's time to sort of get rid of that straight jacket yes. and, and embrace Mother Nature because Mother Nature has control of us. There's no point in controlling her because she's always going to win. So we have Absolutely. to work with her. So I guess this is what you're trying to get across because at the moment, also with climate change, political uncertainty, rising costs of living and an energy crisis, you'd be forgiven to say, God, what is the point? It's all doom and gloom. But tell me that this book gives us hope. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. It is very much hope laden, solution focused guide, because this is very much that there is hope. There's always hope. And actually, it's just we need to change the way that we're gardening. Exactly what you say, that it's about working with the natural world. But I think what helps in that regard as well is knowing that the the so-called gold standard way of gardening that we've all become so familiar with over the years is actually based on relatively recent Victorian principles of gardening, which is very much around keeping your, your outside space very neat, primped and polished and keeping it um, in check, almost treating it like a another room of the house. But actually prior to that, if you look back before there were garden centres, before there were multifarious products that we're told we need to have to become good gardeners, people took a much more nature-friendly approach, more community-focused approach where they were making, mending, mending and doing. So everything from seed saving, swapping seed that had been saved with others in the community, to fixing, to repairing, to making the best use of the resources that were available for free, 
in their location. And I think another thing that I've done that's really built my own confidence and empowerment and has really helped me as a resilient gardener and made me feel passionate, passionate about this topic for others is that actually buying everything in doesn't make you a good gardener. We've very much got into this mindset that gardening's become expensive and something that requires multifarious different tools and this and that. But actually, I gardened for free for a number of years for The Guardian. And so I did attempt to garden, as the title says, entirely for free. So that really took me back on the journey of learning to build resilience. And it's made me a much better gardener as a result. So there is hope. And I think with all of this as well, that nature in its, um, its entirety offers solutions for building resilience for the garden, but also for ourselves as people. There's become a real disconnect with the natural world over the years. And unfortunately, I think that's really at the heart of a lot of the issues that we're facing right now. And we are living through incredibly challenging times, but the natural world offers masses of hope. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think the pandemic has highlighted that disconnect yes. as well, without a shadow of a doubt. For those who perhaps are not, I feel like sometimes I'm in a bit of an echo chamber and I'm surrounded by people with the same sorts of views, but it's how we sort of reach those people who have a, are in a privileged position to have a garden or a yeah. community garden. How do we get to them to sort of change their practices how do we get into schools to sort of educate and inspire them and the teachers teaching our children that this is this is of huge importance? I think it should be made available. The opportunity to grow to grow if you take growing food, I think it should be made available to everybody. I think it's absolutely essential. We are hunter gatherers um, by our very nature in our DNA, and to have the ability to nurture food for the table to to, to germinate a seed into a plant, into food that you can you can eat fresh, freshly picked, no plastic. It's there, it's full of goodness, is, is a human right for all of us. And I think it's incredibly important. And the disconnect from that is one of the, the main challenges that we've had. But I think that, I mean, I've done a lot of work over the years with various different organisations. And I think that from a making this available to everybody perspective we absolutely should be looking at for example for new building developments there should be growing space for people living there there's lots of land available throughout the uk that is currently derelict that mm -hmm. could be opened up for community growing projects with the the challenges at the moment the cost of living crisis which is very real and scary again it just shines a light on this but also the climate change anxiety is actually a term now of so many people are feeling anxiety and with all the things that have happened the pandemic the cost of living crisis climate change worries war in russia people are feeling completely overstimulated and they're feeling very fight or flight so the opportunity to open this up i think is absolutely integral moving forward no, absolutely. And also just the simple act of being in our green spaces in terms of reducing anxiety. Again, I go back to the pandemic just because yeah. it's so it's so um, close to us and it's not been that far when many of us sort of did reconnect with our green spaces, whether it was our parks or our gardens. The eco-anxiety is really interesting because I feel that yeah. is it's perhaps with a younger generation, primary schools, sort of younger secondary school children. How do we approach that as parents and as teachers with children who 
who feel that it's completely out with their control and they're looking to us for guidance. I think the key thing to know with this is that it's really hard for everybody to anybody and everybody to feel completely okay at the moment and I've, I've written on this topic actually for the Lancet because I think it's really important that because of all the things that have happened even if you don't have a predisposition for stress or for depression or for anything like that we're all very very fight or flight because of things that have happened so there's a much quicker pathway to feeling angry to feeling overwhelmed all these feelings and children don't have the the life experience and the tool belt abilities of a lot of adults to make time for example in my own case I will make time to garden to go and do yoga you know it's really really important to look after yourself as much as you can so for children, they've lived through unprecedented experiences. And from a schooling perspective, the during the pandemic, children, you know, school is about so many things. It's about education, it's about community, it's about learning who you are and how to be. And a large part of that, a large chunk of that time was spent at home away from other people. So the, the right for schools to, to actually take part, the opportunity for, for children to take part in this, I think is integral. But from my own experience, because I have done some, some training with teachers in Wales, is that there's often this idea that to actually start, to start gardening, setting up a gardening project in a school environment has to be expensive. This perception yeah. that in order to do that, it's actually it's it's a it's costly b it's very time consuming and c the logistics are a bit, a bit overwhelming so i think that certainly the the actual getting started part of it is often the most important thing and it's about getting the children involved from the very beginning to come up with ideas to get that engagement and ideas of what they can do and i think it's equally as important for the teachers and the local community to be involved in each of these growing projects again so you've got communities coming together and the, the schools can be the center center point of that because schools are such an important part of the community so then you can overcome some of the the hurdles such as what happens during summer holidays with the school gardens how do they get watered but also when you're gardening in a very nature friendly way where you're looking at reducing the amount of watering that's required it makes the actual gardens themselves much lower maintenance to work with. Oh absolutely so I guess coming back to the climate change garden and the sort of the, the focus of your book if someone yes. is starting a garden from scratch or are getting back into their own garden or setting up a school garden for the first time what are your sort of top tips and bits of advice to make it a resilient garden? Well I think the key thing to do is to try and question the rules um, as much as you can in a safe, safe environment. Um, you know, rules within society are there for a reason. But in the garden, the rules that we're following often are no longer fit for purpose because, as you said, it is no longer gardening as usual. So if you look at even a very exacting, for example, seed packet, there's often very, very exacting instructions that you must plant at a certain depth, you must do that, you must do that. So yeah. I think it's very important to get connected. It's very important to, if you're starting, get connected with your outside space. So spend time in it, think, look, listen, look at creating ways of attracting wildlife. So whether it's um, hanging up bird feeders, 
looking at creating, um, you know, wild areas within that space, but also reaching out to your local community will really help you with ideas. So whether it's a local organic gardening or permaculture group, that's an incredibly useful source, especially if you're new to this, for ideas for how to get started, but also for, for example, opportunities for seed swaps, for materials. It doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, for example, in my own outside training garden space, I've got lots of different gardens within the garden to, to demonstrate different ways of doing things. So a lot of the materials that I've used for this, I've sourced for free. So I've sourced pallets to make compost piles, um, you know, com compost chamber piles. There's wood from building projects that I've made raised beds out of. And the other thing, there's lots, there's lots there. So I, I could talk a lot, a lot around that, but I think try and as much as you can get hands on, speak to others, but also try and have a go at doing things like working with local resources and so making your own compost thinking about doing that it massively turns you know flips the switch on the idea of gardening being expensive and it also enables you to transform kitchen waste and garden waste into this most amazing material for free for your outside space but design technique wise there's lots of things like mixed planting mm -hmm. which is a whole topic in itself so a lot of the time there's an idea that you have to plant in exacting lines you have to use crop rotation actually something like mixed planting or polyculture is a fantastic free-spirited way to work which helps massively with things like natural pest control because a greater risk of pests and disease is a huge challenge with our changing climate oh absolutely you talk about that in the book about new diseases and pests coming in as well and we and we don't want to resort to pesticides we no. have to <laughs> we, we cannot do that despite what some people may have said recently in in the press um, it just cannot be done and we need to educate children about that and why it's not okay to go into B&Q and home base and see yeah. shelves and shelves of, of pesticides and weed killers. Yeah. Um, no, it's absolutely fantastic. And also, I love the fact that you don't be expected to do it on your own because gardening is about community and feeding off other people's experiences and sort of cross-generational experience as well which I think Very is important. really important yeah it really is and actually Helen I find because I, I do courses all over the UK um, I've done stuff for organizations like the RHS um, all different places and I deal with gardeners of all different levels of experience and it's actually quite interesting because it is a say no longer gardening as usual but you sometimes find that in a, a mixed gardening ability context on the course, sometimes the complete beginners, because they don't have the, the same way of seeing things as say an, an RHS qualified gardener with 30 years under their belt, they sometimes come up with ideas that are really interesting. And it is about constantly thinking of new ideas and trying out different ways of, of gardening. There's many different ways to grow a carrot wherever you live in the UK, your your individual climate is going to be very different, but it's about experimenting and that's fun as well. It also helps to nurture, I think, a childlike enthusiasm for growing as well, which is off-roading from the way that we're taught to do that. And often the best things that I've done have been purely by experimenting. But in order to do that, what I've done is I've tapped into my innate ability to actually think on my feet. Mm-hmm. This is hugely important. So it's about thinking on your feet. And from a climate change anxiety perspective that we were talking about earlier, I think it's good to know that 
actually if you are rushing into the garden with a very long exacting to-do list and you're feeling pressured about all the things you need to do to keep your garden looking you know spick and span know that you're not in a position to in that state think creatively of things to do if for example there's just been an extreme drought if however you are sitting there just chuck chuck the to-do list to one side sit there be stare stay at stare at a raised bed stare at a border look at the wildlife try and create some emotional regulation in that environment and that in that context you can tap into your executive decision making ability which is in the prefrontal cortex of your brain which enables you to problem solve as well so the rushing around tidying everything sort of scenario is not actually very good for thinking on your feet at all no it's not conducive whatsoever no (laughs) (laughs) so the book is out very soon remind me of the publication date Thank you. It's actually it's in the shops now. Um, it's in the shops now. The, it is in the shops now. It's um it's come out. It's, they've snuck it out earlier, which is great. But the official launch date is the seventh of February. Brilliant. Well, so we're doing lots and lots around, but it's um yeah, it's packed full of very much solution focused on the ground ways of doing things and like you said at the beginning it's about offering hope for people and with this it can all feel massively overwhelming but know that actually a lot of the solutions actually from a a on the ground gardening perspective will save a lot of time and effort and there is an awful lot of hope with this the way that we've gardened in the main up until this point is no longer fit for purpose but the solutions are arguably a lot more attractive anyway Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Kim. I wish you my pleasure. lots of luck um, with the new edition of this book and a very happy growing season for 2023. That is all we have time for today. Thank you again for tuning in to listen and thank you to my guest, Kim. All the details that I've covered in today's show will be in the show notes. Next week, I will be joined by Charles Dowding and we'll be talking about his brand new children's book, All About No Dig Gardening. Plus, this coincides with National Children's Mental Health Week. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, please do and remember to share and review. It really does make a massive difference. Until next week, keep growing and cooking. Um.